1: Hi, everybody. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, and welcome to Small Biz Chat. I'm America's number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson, and I am so excited to be here with you all. So, you know, Small Biz Chat Live is a peer-to-peer interview show that gives small business owners a way to really get and share invaluable business advice. The mission of Small Biz Chat is to end small business failure. Our goal is to give small business owners an opportunity to hear sage advice from multiple angles so that you can not only start a business, but grow your business. Thank you so much for being with us. And we're going to talk to a leadership and education expert. And my next guest, Steve Bowler, aka Stan Tall Steve, he is a former superintendent of schools, a principal, and he also is the author of a new book, On leadership called Stand Tall Leadership. He's known for his quick wit and creative thought and humor to engage audiences. And he really works with educational leaders all over this country on how to bring smart ideas to schools. And he's also a very good friend of mine. So I am excited to have Steve Bowler join us tonight because I think anybody out here who's got kids has got a problem. We got to try to figure out what to do about getting these kids to school. Is it safe? Is it not safe? Should you take the kids to college? What is going on? We just had a couple of colleges shut back down this week. So Steve, thank you for joining us on this chat live because i thought it was important not to just talk about business but to talk about real life and stuff that real families are dealing with and i have a 14 year old son that's going to ninth grade this year and i'm worried about sending him to school uh, you know and i'm getting conflicting stories the school wants to do one thing the department of health is saying we need to do something else what is a, a nervous nilly mom to do what what should we be doing out here
0: It's a difficult thing, I tell you what. And ultimately what it comes down to, it it comes down to the parents' decision. It it really is the parents' decision as to what it is that you want to do. But it is a difficult decision that's out there. Schools right now, they are being turned around constantly. The decisions that they made at the end of last year, because that's the, here's here's the big thing of everything. At the end of last school year, COVID hit, schools went nuts, everything went crazy. And they said, oh, we're going to do virtual learning. That was not virtual learning. OK, that was emergency virtual learning. There's a difference. OK, <laughs> emergency virtual learning. It's like building a plane while it's in the sky and it is a, a lightning storm. And, you, you know, that's, that's basically what schools were doing. So we were in survival mode. A lot of schools, they were just trying to find the kids. Once they left there, they were just trying to find them. And then throughout the summer, as things went on, schools were like, whoo, we made it through. OK, summertime. Well, the work just begun. Because they got new information, new information, different information, and information kept changing and changing and changing and changing. And so now there are schools in some parts of the country, they've actually gone back, they've actually done it. But here where I live, New Jersey, Northeast area, area here, we haven't gone back yet. And it changed again. The school district where I I live, they said that they're going to do a a hybrid. They're going to have Monday, Tuesday group. Off on Wednesday to clean, then a Thursday-Friday group, pick which one that you want, and they'll let you know. Then once everybody did their picking and everything, then the board had a meeting and they decided to go virtual. So it's like things keep changing. As a parent, I know that is very difficult. But but, but keep in mind, the number one thought on mostly all schools and administrators' mind is what can we do to keep them safe? That's first. And then it's the instruction
1: and education piece. I hear you. I hear you, Steve, but Listen. I have one child, my only begotten son, you understand? And I am definitely afraid of something happening to him. And in my case, my son takes the regional rail to school. So my son actually takes public transportation to get to his private school. So in my case, even if I, let's say, even if I felt comfortable for my child to walk into his school building. I'm going to trust public transportation to get him there? Yeah,
0: yeah. Nah, man,
1: nah, nah, uh-uh. Like, I, I don't, you can't control other adults on a public, a public. even if my son's sitting there with his little mask on, who's to say what the septa workers are doing, what, what the other adults on that train are doing? Like, I, I mean, I just, I can break into hives even thinking about it, right. you know? And it's mm-hmm. not a situation where, I could drive him every day because the school was almost an hour away from my house. It would kill two hours a day, every day, me dealing with that. I, that's not feasible either. So, yeah. so I, you know, I'm really perplexed as to what to do. I mean, my school gave the option virtual or hybrid, you know, and we chose virtual because of our transportation situation. And I recognize, too, my kids in ninth grade. So my kid can sit in front of a computer and be taught because he's older. He can be more self-directed. But people with little kids, people with like first, second, third, fourth, like kids that are still learning to read, kids that are still learning multiplication tables and stuff like that, that's a lot more, That that's a lot more hands-on learning. And I can see why that is a nightmare online.
0: Very much a nightmare online. And your your concerns are valid. They, they make perfect sense. I mean, that's concerns, even in my situation, my kids take the local school bus and I'm like, they i not taking the bus. I can't trust the other kids on the bus, let alone somebody on a set bus. You know what I'm saying? So I completely understand that. That's why, I mean, in majority of all schools around, they do give the parents the option. You know, we have the virtual option versus the, the coming into school option. Now with this option, Hopefully, and and in most cases in schools that I've been working with continually, is they've learned from the building the airplane in the sky while it was flying about virtual learning and what it can be done. So schools are making adjustments. When you're talking about your younger students, all right, your kindergarten, your pre-K, first grade, second grade, that's your foundational areas. A lot of schools, what they're doing is, let's say that you have a grade level. Let's say your first grade level has 100 kids in it. All right. You put it out to the parents. Okay, how many want to do virtual? How many is going to come in? What do we have going on with this? And you find out that 50 of them want to do 100 percent virtual. The other 50 are going to come in. So what they're going to do is they're going to push those those two groups of 50 into two smaller groups. And they're going to make teachers solely virtual teachers. So now you have the virtual teachers that are here that are handling the ones at home. They can break down into smaller chunks, have smaller groups, interact with them the best that they can and provide that in, that connection with them as best they could and, and pull them through in the smaller bits and chunks. There are some schools that are more strapped, that are tighter, where the teacher is like, look, I'm going to have me 12 kids in front of me and I got another 12 to 15 that are going to be online at the same time. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's the best thing in in ever, the but they're being creative as they can to try to make this work. It's hard. What I've said in a group, I was in a group webinar where I was talking about improving virtual teaching strategies. I said, look, what we're doing here in school, administrators, they're picking the best, worst solution. That's what we're doing. We're picking the best, worst solution. They're all bad. They're all bad ideas. We have a bad, tough situation, but we got to pick the best one of that and then move forward. And keeping in mind, their teachers are slowly getting a little bit better with this virtual learning on how to make better connections with them, how to get that information to them. And keep in mind also, there are schools within America that have been 100% virtual. There are virtual schools that have been in existence for 20-some 20, 20 some years. So it can be done. I was consulting with the school out in California. When COVID hit, they reached out to me and they says, hey, we need to work with you because we need to rebrand. We're a 100% virtual school. And we just realized the rest of the world just caught up with us. right so it's possible it's possible it's just difficult what
1: about about the achievement gap though there were kids in regular school that were not doing as well as other kids so now you put the digital divide layer on top of that i know Mm -hmm. you know we we live very close to to the city of philadelphia and there were so many students that not only did they not have computers at home they didn't have internet Now, I did did just hear that there's been a move to give low-income families internet for 12 months and that they did some partnership between Comcast and Pew Foundation and all these people got together and said, okay, we can't have this again. So now they're going to give these families internet. But what about the kids that didn't have, you know, what about last school year? I mean, was the last quarter of school a watch for most kids? I mean, did anybody learn anything last year? You know what I mean? Like, I heard that there were school districts that used the grades from the first three semesters and used that as their grade for the year and didn't even give kids grades for the last, the last nine weeks of school or the last quarter of school.
0: Correct, yes, yes. Again, keep in mind, it was emergency virtual learning. Everybody was scrambling trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. So yeah, at the end of last school year, there are some districts, like I, I work with schools in Buffalo area, and I work connected with them. Their number one focus with the schools that I was working with during that last part was by the end of the school year, we want to find all our kids. That's it. They weren't, I mean, it, instruction, the, the the gap, yes, it was there. Our goal, their biggest goal was finding all of the kids because we know that some kids have a lot of different situations, in home life. You know, I've heard a situation where the kids are like, okay, we're home. Hey, look, I I'm an essential worker. So you're going to go live with your cousin, you know, boom off. They they're gone. Oh, yeah. And they didn't attack the school because they were thinking that the school's closed. It's over with, you know, and then there, you know, people calling the house, where's the kid. They're, they're with their cousin. I don't got time for this. I'm trying to live. So that's what's the wow. situation you're dealing with. On top of it, we talk about, and it's a great thing, a lot of school districts are going all out. They're making sure people have internet. They're making sure that they have the Chromebooks. They have what they need to get connected and get educated, because we all know how important that is. But in the same token, let's say that you're living in a house, a two-bedroom house or apartment, two-bedroom apartment. You got five kids in there, along with your cousins and a couple other ones. You're trying to find a place to sit down and to do your learning, or you only have one computer, and you know what? Mom needs it for work. So the situations aren't the best. The important thing that I'm noticing, especially with a lot of the educators in the groups that I work with, they're keeping an open mind. I did a, a webinar uh, a few weeks back for principals and superintendents, and the title of it was It's Not Business as Usual. It's Not Business as Usual. You just you can't. You can't go back and say, okay let's get these kids back into class. Let's get them going. It's, no. It, how dare you? I used to, thats shame for shame for shame. <laughs> you continue after what we know, understanding your needs of your students and your teachers, because teachers are people too, right? How do you go back to the way that it was before? It is impossible to do that. You have to alter, you have to change. And it's not anymore about the grade because that's a big thing, especially when you look in your secondary, your high school and such. It's not necessarily 100% about the grade. It's about the learning. And that's what a lot of influential, forward-thinking educators were, were trying to do. Good practitioners of education were doing this before COVID, but now it's really hitting home. It may not necessarily be about the grade as much as it is about the learning. How have they learned? How well, You know, that's the whole point of the standards, whether it's the state standards, national standards, whatever. What's the level of growth? If we want to put a letter A to it or a letter B to it, yippee ki yay. It comes down to how are we going to get them to move forward to whatever degree that might be.
1: Wow. So how glad are you that you're not a superintendent of a school district? <laughs> <laughs> you I mean, i tell you
0: what, I sit back and like I, I coach and I, I coach superintendents, I coach principals. And I'm sitting like, like, whoa, dodged one here, man. Woo! It, because it, it is it is enormous. It is an enormous pressure that is on the educational leaders right now as to what decision to make, because you're not going to please everyone. You have some situations in some states where they're telling them, you must go back no matter what. It's a must. You must have the kids back in. In their hearts of hearts, they completely disagree with that. They don't want that, but they're required to. And then on the other side, you have the, the teachers associations and teachers unions and sites like that who are openly saying, for the safety of our teachers, we, we don't want them back. But on the other side, you want it. So and then, as you know, it's becoming very political, you know, politicized. So it's a very tough you know, line that they're, they're, they're walking on. No decision, like I said, no decision is the best decision. Let's pick the best, worst decision that we can to move forward with what we got to do. But the one thing that I really want to impress is that for the parents who have the kids, keep in mind, schools are truly doing the best that they can. They are trying to find the best possible solution. They know for some of y'all, half of y'all are like, please get them out of this house. And the other half of y'all are like, please don't take them out of my house for safety reasons. And they have to balance that. And they're trying to do the best that they can with it.
1: Well, I I think that's really sage advice, and I do want to give you an opportunity to share one thing that you wrote in your book, Stand Tall Leadership. Tell us about the results formula, because I know that that's what you teach when you work with educational leaders, and I think it's helpful for business leaders, too. So can you share that with us?
0: Yeah, definitely. The the results formula, and it's interesting, I was talking about the results formula just yesterday. I did a, a session on improving your virtual teaching, and it works in so many different ways. The results formula revolves around five letter R's, five letter R's. So what you respect, you recognize, reward, and reinforce gives you results. What you respect, recognize, reward, and reinforce gives you results. So with that, number one, it's all about what you respect and value, all right? What is most important to you? And when I speak to school leaders or teachers and things like that, I always go back to that. What's most important? What do you respect and value? Now, I get it. Places have vision statements. They have mission statements. But truthfully, if you talk to every teacher or every person in your organization, can they recite the vision or mission statement verbatim? Most of the time, not. But if you can clearly identify four to five things, this is what we respect and value. This is most important to us. Then within your class, within your school, within your organization, the second part is recognize. Recognize people when they do what it is you respect and value. And when I say recognize, I'm not saying give it a trophy, don't give a certificate. Not just take note when someone does what it is you respect and value. So let's say in the school, you've you know you internally branded, you post it all over the place what it is you respect and value. Hey, way to go. I see what you did there with number two of what we respect and value. Awesome job with that. And it you continually just notice when people are doing things. People love to get noticed when they're doing the right thing. I've had teachers come in and they say, you know, I get on them when. They don't do the right thing and it's not my job to recognize them for doing what they're supposed to do. Do you want them to continue to do what they're supposed to do? Yes. Well, then you need to recognize when they do that. I mean, oh my, I just, are you kidding me? It's just a, it makes no sense to me. So that's the second part is recognizing. And the third one is reward. So there needs to be some kind of reward system that connects directly to what it is you respect and value. And everybody, I've heard people say, I'm not rewarding them. I'm not going to do that. No, everyone likes to, some type of reward as long as it's directly connected to what you respect and value. I say to them all the time. College football, back when we had college football, they have stickers on their helmets, right? You ever seen the stickers that they have on the helmet? They do a good job on the field. They get a sticker. Those guys will kill on that field for a sticker. So it's not about what the reward is. It's about what it means. I mean, you can give kids stickers all day. They love them. Pre-K to 12th grade, sticker. But there needs to be some kind of tangible reward. I call it VTW, visible, tangible, walk-aroundable. They can walk around with it. People can see it. It's tangible. They can feel it. Visible, they can see it. So that's the reward part. And then the last one is reinforce. So with reinforce, it's all about doing it again and again and again and again. If you were to go to Google Images and type in reinforcement, and then images will come up of Framing a building, scaffolding a building, reinforcement for concrete. And if you notice, there's not one metal pipe, one metal beam holding up a whole building. It's thousands of them, which means you do the first three things again and again and again. What do you respect and value? Recognize them again and again and rewards. Now, if you do those things again and again and again, what's the probability of you getting the results that you want? It goes up.
1: Highly probable.
0: And that's the thing. A lot of times in schools and in organizations, we focus on eliminating the problem or getting the exact. I always say reduce, not eliminate. You're not going to eliminate a lot of things, but you can reduce it, bad behavior in school. You might not eliminate it, but you can reduce it. Results formula will help you do that. You want to get a better grades from the students, better outcomes, better things from your employees. If you have employees with it, identify what you respect and value with your employees. Recognize your employees when they do what it is you respect and value. Have some kind of reward system directly connected to what you respect and value and reinforce it by doing it again and again and again. You're going to get the results that you want from your employees. The probability increases dramatically. So it works in schools. It works in education. And that's it's it makes sense to me. It just makes perfect sense to me.
1: Well, I think it makes sense in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of us can use these systems even with our own employees because sometimes it's really easy to point out what people didn't do as opposed to acknowledging what people did do right. And there's there's something to be said for positive reinforcement as opposed to negative, um, you know, putting people down. It doesn't that doesn't work. All right, Steve, what is your favorite podcast?
0: Uh, uh, I have I got two that I really, really, really love. The first one is The Speaking Show with David Newman. He talks about speaking and the, the business of speaking. And I love the guests that he has on there. The second one is called Hidden Brain. It's all about thinking and how people interact with the world around them. I absolutely love both of those. They're, they're like, I, I, I can't get enough of
1: them. I'm a big fan of The Hidden Brain, too. And I first learned about that podcast actually from NPR because the guy yeah. that, that he comes on NPR every so often and talks about his his podcast and his research that he does for the hidden brain. You know, I have a couple of podcasts that I like. I'm like not. I'm a, I'm a grazer, so there's a couple of different ones that I like. I'm a big fan of Entre Leadership, which is Dave Ramsey's podcast. He's not always on it. He has another guy that hosts it, but I actually really like that podcast. There's also some other ones that I've that I've grazed around, but it's so hard when you're producing your own podcast to make time to listen to other people's podcasts because it's like, oh my gosh! But I'm I'm a fan of quite a few, but I, the one that I listen to lately a lot is Um Entre Leadership. So that's one that I'll throw out there. All right, here's my next question, Steve. I'm gonna come at you for this one first. So, what is your favorite business app? Favorite business app that you can't live without?
0: Oh, a favorite business app. Lately, I, truthfully, I've, I've been using PayPal like a champ lately. <laughs> PayPal and I've become real good friends over the quarantine. So yeah, it's like, because you know I do speaking and everything and, and stuff, but I started doing some products and things and I've, I've been using PayPal. So I've gotten to know PayPal pretty well. Yeah,
1: Steve Bowler, what's your favorite book?
0: Right now, one of my favorite books was actually by Kathy Fayok and Louis Kramer. It's a speaker author. And because I had a new book coming out, I needed to focus on how I was going to utilize that book, how I was going to market that book, how I was going to get it out there. That When you talk about one of the most simplest, easiest reads, that is just you can do everything in there that day to make it better for your book that's going to be released. It just makes sense. So for me at this point right now, that's what it was.
1: All right. And my favorite is the e-myth revisited by michael gerber which is always my favorite book i always talk about that listen thank you so much if you guys want to learn more information about them just check out our blog succeed your own boss.com you'll have lots of more information about them and i just want to thank you all for joining us on small biz chat live i'm melinda emerson the small biz lady and i will leave you with this you never lose in business either you win or you learn god bless everybody good night
0: Thank you for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Belinda Emerson. For more resources and small business success strategies, visit succeedasyourownboss.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday.